You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast, recorded live each Sunday at St. John's Anglican Church, Diamond Creek. This episode presented by Associate Minister Julie Blinker. to be here. I just love Easter weekend. It's one of my favourite weekends of the year Um, and it's a privilege to preach this morning. I thought I'd start off by doing a little bit of an activity. On the stage here we have a walnut seed, an egg and some weights. Can anyone guess what these three things have in common? I'll give you a clue. The walnut seed can be broken, in fact has to be broken, for the inner seed to come out and produce new life. This egg needs to crack open before a chiclet can hatch out of it. And what about the weights? Any guesses? Well, when you lift a weight up, it tears your muscles. And that tearing has to occur for the new cells to come along and build and repair, making your muscles stronger and firmer and doing what they're designed to do. We see it again and again in nature, that new life and new beginnings come from things which have previously been broken in some way. And often what's true in the natural, in what we see around us, can be true in the spiritual and reveal spiritual truths to us. It's an interesting pattern to see and one which we've seen over this Easter weekend. On Monday, Thursday, we saw the shadows representing the different brokenness in our world, the brokenness of shame and accusation, of denial, rejection, abandonment and death, a brokenness that Jesus walked through to heal and to make new. On Good Friday, we saw Jesus himself on the cross, By his wounds, we are healed. He was pierced for our transgressions. He knew deep sadness and abandonment from his friends and his heavenly father so that he can now wipe away every tear from our face. His life was poured out, given out for us so that we can have life in abundance both now and for eternity. And if it just stopped there on the cross, It would have ended with much sadness. What a tragic way to die. What a traumatic thing to see. Like an egg which breaks and that's it. It's left crumpled and broken. His life would have been just broken under the pressure of the world around it. Yet the reason Easter is good news is that it didn't stop there. And this is good news for us because his brokenness leads to new life. First his and then ours. Here's the beginning of all creation being made new. As we see in nature with a walnut seed needing to be broken open before a seed of new life can come, and we saw with an egg being hatched open before a chiclet could come, and we see with muscles being torn before they grow and are more strong, so too we see here. Jesus' life was broken so that new life for the whole world and all who live in it can begin. So what does this mean for you, for me? What this means is that if you're going through a rough time right now and feeling perhaps broken, heavy-hearted, weighed down from things that are going on in life, challenges that feel 
confusing and too hard to handle. God is not finished with your story. He has risen from the grave to bring new life to that which is broken in ours and in the world around us. On Good Friday, many of those that came to the service wrote on a little red piece of paper and stuck it up on these bandages on the cross. Um, they shared things that were on their heart, uh, concerns that they had, wounds of their heart, or things that were troubling them in the world around them, the brokennesses of our world. The good news of Easter is that it doesn't end there. God has a divine exchange for you. It's no longer the final word. His dying and rising again has literally broken the power of darkness and its consequence over our lives. So literally we can cut this off because the power of it is broken. By his wounds we are healed and he has come to make all things new. Now we see these principles also played out in the lives of the two people we heard from the readings today. We're going to look first at the life of Mary Magdalene and then at the life of Simon Peter. Mary Magdalene is quite a controversial figure. She's mentioned probably about 12 times, which is a little bit more than some of the apostles are mentioned, some of Jesus' leadership team. And we see that uh, there's a movie being released about her and some of the facts are sort of being pulled together there. She's been thought of and talked about a lot. And we just want to, I want to imagine her life for a little bit. We know from the Gospel of Luke that she travelled round with Jesus and his leadership team of 12 as he preached the Gospel and healed people in the various villages. We are told that she supported them, which we can assume might be from a lucrative business or maybe she was an itinerant minister herself. We're also told that she was delivered from seven demons at one stage in her life. What that tells us is that somewhere along the way, she already knows that Jesus is the one who can heal her and set her free. She was set free from a life of captivity and brokenness into a life of freedom and purpose. I can picture that's why she's like, I'm going to leave this behind. I've found the one who can set me free. I've found the one who gives my life purpose. I've found the one who brings healing and wholeness. I've found the one I want to follow. And yet here in this passage, we have a different uh, window into Mary Magdalene's life. Here we find her in a different season, one marked with grief and with sorrow. We see, for example, that she was one of the four women at the cross on Good Friday. How, how traumatic that must have been to see someone you love so dearly being tortured so badly and having nothing you can do about it. That gut-wrenching pain she must have felt and experienced. Then on Sunday morning we read, full of grief and loss and fresh sadness, I imagine if she's like most of us, her eyes were probably puffy from crying. We're told she, was, she woke before sunrise. Maybe she hadn't slept that night. Maybe she was restless with the stress of it all. Before sunrise she wakes and she runs to the tomb. 
And she gets there and she finds that the tomb has been broken. The stone has been rolled away. Without even thinking to check, she gets distressed and she thinks, I've got to go tell the guys. She runs to them and she says, verse 2, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. We'll look shortly at Peter and John's reaction, but to continue with Mary Magdalene, later on she comes to the tomb after they've left and she takes a peek in. She notices the grave clothes there folded. She notices two angelic beings. It says their clothes are white like lightning. And yet she's not really fussed by them. She's not astounded by them. She's still so focused on the grief that she wears so openly on her sleeve. Verse 13, I imagine with eyes teary and nose running and sobbing, she's, they've taken my Lord away and I don't know where they've put him. In fact, we're told Jesus himself was at the door of the tomb. But she didn't recognize him. She thought he was the local gardener. Verse 15, he says, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you were looking for? Perhaps this meant, who did you think your Messiah would look like? Mary, still sniffling and sobbing, I exaggerate a bit, but I'm, I'm heightening this moment for us. Verse 15, sir, if you have taken this body away, please tell me so I can go and get him. We often hear this story on Easter, but we overlook the magnificence of this holy moment between these two. And I want to narrow down a bit at what we can learn about our own trusting in Jesus, our own following of him through the story of Mary Magdalene here. The thing I love about Mary Magdalene here is that she is not trying to act like she's got it all together. She doesn't have the answers and she's happy to share that. Jesus has previously taught that it's not the well who need a doctor, it's those who know they are unwell. Mary recognizes her own lack and runs to know where she knows he would be. Like for Mary, the risen Jesus still wants to meet you right where you're at this day, in your grief and sorrow, in your loss and darkness, in your broken heart or sleepless nights. At this stage, Mary's life looked like the broken eggshells, crumpled, deflated, weary and broken. And here was a gardener and some angels, yet she didn't care. However, it wasn't the end of her story. The second point, Jesus knows us. The first point being Jesus comes to us right where we're at, us not needing to hold it all together, but being honest before him. The second point, Jesus knows us. Verse 10, at the tomb, Jesus says, Mary, Rabboni? Mary responded, which means teacher. He knew her name. He knew her pain. He knew her circumstances. And she knew his voice and recognized her teacher. In one word from Jesus, her sorrow and pain was transformed to delight and rejoicing. Mary, he said. I have a story I want to share of 
a time when one word from Jesus brought delight and a complete change in my life. I had a chronic illness many years ago. I'd caught a bug from overseas and this bug meant that I coughed a lot. Um, I coughed through the night, so it affected my sleep, and I coughed through the day, so it affected my communication and my speaking. Um, it was hard to communicate for any length of time without coughing. It was distracting, and the only good thing really is that I got some good coughing abs <laughs> through that time. Yet it was annoying and painful. The doctors had said that there was nothing they, I, they could do. They'd tried all they knew what to do. They tried what they'd known to try, and there was nothing more. They said maybe it will go away by itself. Then one night when I was reading the Bible, the scripture jumped out at me. It was James 5.14. I read it here. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. I just knew this scripture was for me. I just knew it. It had jumped alive in my spirit and I, I couldn't wait to get to church that Sunday. I knew this was a word of God and that he was going to heal me. So I brought it to my leaders at the time and I said, please, as this scripture says, can you anoint me with oil and pray that I would be healed? And they did. And I was healed in an instant. I don't know why it took years to get to that point. I don't know why time since it hasn't been so instant when I've prayed for healing. But in that moment, I was healed and I was rejoicing over God and his power at work in me. Just like Mary, who one word and her circumstance changed, for me, one word from the living word of God, the Bible, brought a change in my life. By his wounds, I was healed. The risen Jesus had healed me overnight. He meets you where you're at. He knows you by name. And the third point, he brings life from our brokenness. And here is a really interesting part of the story. He gives her new purpose and new hope afresh. Verse 17, he says to her, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the, to the Father. Now, there's mixed discussions over what this is about. Some people say that Jesus sort of was on the way from being risen, um, on the way to see the Heavenly Father for the first time, and he sort of stopped. He saw Mary's grief. He stopped for the one. He cared for her. And he's like, Mary, I'm on the way, inferring. I'm on the way, but I, I came to show you that I care, that this isn't the end of your story. And he says, do not hold on to me because, Mary, don't hold on to me because you might sort of stuff up my plan to save the entire human race. Others say, it's because he's saying, oh, Mary, you're missing the point. You don't need to hold on to me. You don't need to cling to me. I'm not going to be gone forever. This isn't your last chance to hold me. This isn't a time for sadness and clinging. This is a time for rejoicing and telling others. And what is his message that he's told her to tell others? Verse 17, he says, go tell my brothers. This is the first time in this book that that term is used. And Mary knows it's the disciples, not his biological brothers. 
He says, go tell my brothers that I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. No longer was Jesus needed, needing to go to his father on their behalf. His death and resurrection meant that they had direct access to the throne of heaven. He had made a way for the sons and daughters of earth to be restored in direct relationship with their heavenly father. That's for her, that's for the brothers, and that's for us. It's good news. Jesus has made a way for us to be directly reconciled to our heavenly father, our heavenly father and our God. So with Jesus in our life, we always know the way that he is working things to go. He came to set us free. He came to heal us. He came to help us to see and to hear and to be a part of what he is doing on this earth. From Mary's story, we see that he meets us where we're at. We see that we are known by God. We see that wherever our life is at, he can bring life and new beginnings out of things that just haven't gone the way that we, they thought they would. So now I'm going to switch track a bit, and I want to look at Simon Peter. If Simon lived in Australia, I reckon he probably lived in Diamond Creek. He was a tradie, he was trained as a fisherman, and he would have gone fishing maybe in the local river and come back to the Windy Mile pub to talk about the exploits of that day with his mates. One day he met with Jesus on the shores of Galilee. Jesus said, rather than being a fisher of fish, Simon Peter, I want to teach you to be a fisher of men. He, like Mary, was a close companion of Jesus. He saw many of the miracles of Christ, and he was a part of many of them. Remember the guy that walked on water? That was Simon Peter following Jesus. Remember the guy that first realized, well, one of the first ones to realize Jesus was the Messiah. That was Simon Peter. He went on to, be, uh, to preach the gospel and he eventually died a martyr's death for his strong beliefs in who Jesus was. Yet here, we get to peek into a part of his story where he was really, really confused by it all. On Monday, Thursday, Peter was the friend of Jesus who drew the sword and cut the ear of the Roman guard who came to arrest Jesus. On Good Friday, like Mary, he'd witnessed the terrible death his friend and teacher had suffered. It's little wonder, really, that fear came over him when people asked him, aren't you the one who was with Jesus? No, he says. No, I wasn't. No, I never knew him. I wonder what was going through Peter's mind. Fear, uncertainty, grief, shame, doubt. Unlike Mary who wore her heart on her sleeve, Peter withdrew. He needed space. He needed time on his own to think this through. And all of a sudden, on an early Sunday morning, before the sun had risen, Mary, his friend, comes running to him. Guys, they've taken the body from the tomb. Well, that snaps him out. He and John run to the tomb. And I just want to take a side note here. Have you ever noticed that John, the writer of this gospel, later on says, 
I don't have time to tell you all the good things that Jesus has done. There's just no space to record it all. And yet here, in this text, he manages to tell us that he was a faster runner than Simon Peter. Three times he mentions that. He, he thought that was well important to pass through the, um, the times of history in the records of history. So they both run to the tomb. And unlike John, who peeks in, sees and believes, Peter steps in, looks down. He sees the grave clothes that he knows normally belong and are on a dead body, yet there's no body. He's confused. What could this mean? I would suggest that he had grave clothes himself that he needed to let go of to understand the implication of the resurrection for him. He realised, or well, he didn't realise at that stage, but I would suggest that fear held him back from identifying with Jesus and the disciples. And old ways of thinking held him back from understanding what had occurred. And like Mary did, Jesus met Peter right where he was at. We'll see that in the following weeks, what Jesus does to meet Peter and the other disciples, each of them with the journey that they're on in their own faith. But I want to take this moment to ask us, what grave clothes might be wearing, we be wearing that are blocking us from understanding the risen Jesus and what he wants to do in our life? Are there fears which hold you back? Are there old ways of thinking which limit God and box him in to what you understand rather than what it is possible for him to do? We are told that God can do immeasurably more than what we can think or understand what that means is that there are guaranteed times we'll need to let go of our understanding and control and trust God, asking him to have his way. We saw that by his wounds we are healed. Through his brokenness we are made whole. Now sometimes that's in an instant, like the coughing healing um, story that I shared earlier. But sometimes that's a journey so just to keep it real with you guys, I want to share that I too on Friday wrote my little um, heart burden and concern on a little red piece of paper and I put it on the cross. There wasn't an instant healing or an instant change like there had been in the past. But this time, the next day, I was praying with a friend about some other things like we often do. And she shared a verse and she was praying it through, Philippians 4.19. And it's words to the effect of, I, my, I, God, will meet all your needs according to the riches in Christ Jesus. And I just knew that that scripture was for me. I knew that that scripture was for the circumstance that I'd given to Jesus the day before. And I sensed in this that part of the reason that he sometimes delays the answer to our prayers is that in the process of waiting, he wants to give us a bigger perception of who he is. He wants to enlarge our vision and renew our thinking so that we are transformed into his image in the waiting and in the journey. My old thinking was no longer helpful 
And God showed me something new about him that he wanted me to take on board in how I walked going forward, making me a person of promise, ready to receive um, the answered prayer. Mary and Simon Peter were forever changed from their encounter with the risen Jesus. Our lives can be too. The gospel is good news because it allows divine exchange. He delivered Mary from seven demons and set her free to live a new life. He turned her mourning, her sadness, and her grief into gladness, joy, and purpose. He intervened in Simon Peter's life, taking a fisherman from Galilee region and training him to be a person who was instrumental in growing the early church. Jesus turned his fears, doubts, and old ways of thinking into courage, boldness, and confidence that turned countless others towards faith in Christ. He is the same risen Jesus for us, and all things are possible with him. Easter marks the moment in history of Jesus making a way for all things to be made new. It's cataclysmic, it's free, and it's on offer for us. His resurrection from the grave marks the starting point for an entirely new eon of time. When we choose to receive for ourselves this free gift of eternal life, this gift of him taking our place, the gift of him making something new out of the brokenness of our life and the world around us, when we receive that, we are made new. We are born again. So as you think about these things today, I want you to ponder, how does this impact your life? What speaks to you most? What's your take-home point? If you're looking at the walnut shells of your life, so to speak, maybe you're confused like Peter. I don't really know what this all means. Take hope that the resurrection means that his love will dissolve fears and bring clarity to confusion as you go to him with that. Perhaps it's more like Mary. Your emotions are on your sleeve. You're feeling like those crumpled, deflated eggshells. Take hope that today Jesus wants to tell you it's not the end of your story. Come to him, wait on him. He has more. Maybe today, physically, you're in pain. It's like a torn muscle that hasn't yet healed and restored. Take heart today that God is one who heals, sometimes instantly and sometimes in a process, but he cares about where you're at. Perhaps you've you're here today and you don't really care, you know? It's just like, I don't really care. I just do this once a year. I come to church and in this case, my mum or my son or my neighbour invited me along. And that's okay too. God gives you space. He's done all he can to reach you, to know you, to show love to you. But he gives you space to process and to think. And when you're ready, he's ready for you to come to him and say, yes, Lord, I want you to be the number one in my life, my Lord and my Savior. I want to live for you. Easter is good news because Jesus has made a way for us to be restored to the Father and for all things to be made new. I'm now going to pray and then we'll um, bring this to a close. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we are part of the new creation. 
We are part of that because you have died on the cross and risen again and made a way for us to be reconciled and connected again to our Heavenly Father. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would draw near and minister to each person in this room and hearing this podcast. Father, I pray that you would expand and enlarge our vision of you. I pray that you would give us a gift of faith for the next step that you're calling us to. And I pray, Lord, for a joy unspeakable to come into our life because you are near and this is good news. Thanks so much, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you've got any questions about this podcast, connect with us on our website, stjohnsdc.org.au or at facebook.com slash stjohnsdc. Don't forget, you can join us live in Diamond Creek every Sunday at 9.30am and 6pm.